Uh, if you copy the scriptures, you can turn to Numbers chapter 32. Um, we are bringing this giant 747 in for, known as Numbers in for a landing, right? Uh, three more weeks left. The landing gear is down. We are coming in. I'm not sure if you can see the runway yet, but trust me, we're getting there, right? This Sunday and two more Sundays, and we will have made it through the book of Numbers, which is an incredible accomplishment. And I pray that it has been as much of a blessing to you as it has been uh, to me in, in digging deeper into it and in studying it together, especially in this challenging season of COVID and the similarities that go along with wandering in the wilderness. It kind of has seemed like that at times for us, has it not? We get to an interesting part of the story today in Numbers chapter 32, where the, the tribe of Reuben and the tribe of Gad uh, have an interesting idea. They say, hey, what if we just settled right where we are and let the rest of Israel go into the land that God had promised? And at first glance, that might seem like an interesting idea. But we will find quickly that Moses does not think this is a very interesting idea. In fact, he sharply objects to it. And in doing, he pulls out what he sees as their real reasoning for it. And I would suggest to you, uh, if you have the patience to stick with us over these next uh, number of minutes, that we will find a unique and very prescient challenge to us uh, today from the words of Moses to the tribes of Reuben and Gad. Numbers chapter 32, this is what the author writes. The Reubenites and the Gadites, who had very large herds and flocks, saw that the land of Jazer and Gilead was suitable for livestock. So they came to Moses and Eleazar the priest and to the leaders of the community and said, Ataroth, Divan, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Eliele, Seba, Nebo, and Beon, the land the Lord subdued before the people of Israel, are suitable for livestock, and your servants have livestock. If, you have found if we have found favor in your eyes, they said, let this land be given to your servants as our possession. Do not make us cross the Jordan. Moses said to the Gadites and the Reubenites, should your fellow Israelites go to war while you sit here? Why do you discourage the Israelites from crossing over into the land the Lord has given them? This is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to look over the land. After they went up to the valley of Eshkal and viewed the land, they discouraged the Israelites from entering the land the Lord had given them. The Lord's anger was aroused that day, and he swore this oath. Because they have not followed me wholeheartedly, not one of those who were 20 years old or more when they came up out of Egypt will see the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Of course, in this section, Moses is relating what's going on in the Reubenites and the Gadites to that fateful moment at Kadesh when the spies went into the land and came back and said, mm, I don't think we're supposed to go. Uh, and it ended up meaning a whole generation died off in the wilderness. Verse 14, and here you are, you brood of sinners. Right? Moses is not mincing words. Standing in the place of your fathers and making the Lord even more angry with Israel. If you turn away from following him, he will again leave all this people in the wilderness, and you will be the cause of their destruction. Then they came up to him and said, 
We would like to build pens here for our livestock and cities for our women and children, but we will arm ourselves for battle and go ahead of the Israelites until we have brought them to their place. Meanwhile, our women and children will live in fortified cities for protection from the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until each of the Israelites has received their inheritance. We will not receive any inheritance with them on the other side of the Jordan because our inheritance has come to us on the east side of the Jordan. Then Moses said to them, If you will do this, if you will arm yourselves before the Lord for battle, and if all of you who are armed cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven his enemies out before him, then when the land is subdued before the Lord, you may return and be free from your obligation to the Lord and to Israel. And this land will be your possession before the Lord. But if you fail to do this, you will be sinning against the Lord. And you may be sure that your sin will find you out. Build cities for your women and children and pens for your flocks, but do what you have promised. So the Reubenites and the Gadites come to Moses with a bright idea. Hey, this place looks good. We should just settle here. What do you think, Moses? And Moses, seeing exactly what they're getting at and why they're getting there, has a very singular response. And his response is, this is sinful. This is not just a wrong choice, but goes against what God has said. In fact, he compares them to their forefathers who sent spies into the land and in so doing denied that God had given them the land and refused to follow. What's more, Moses goes on to call them a brood of sinners. Wow. Why? Why is this decision by the Reubenites and the Gadites a sinful decision? Why does it bring such a strong indictment from Moses? Well, if you listen carefully to the three, to the statement of Moses about why he thinks they shouldn't do this, there are three things really that stick out uh, to me as I read this. The first is Moses is calling it what he sees, right? He says, what's actually going on here is a lack of faith in the land that God has actually given you. Is that you've gotten here to the precipice, just like in Kadesh 40 years ago, and you can see it, and yet you just want to stay here because you don't really trust that across the Jordan is the full life that God had promised. It is that there is a disbelief in the actual goodness of God to the people of God. That's what's motivating this. And that's why he compares it to the Kadesh incident of their forefathers. But what's more, he also points out an interesting reality. That is that, oh, so you just want to take this land, but you're more than happy to let all of the other tribes go into the land and fight all of their battles on their own to gain the inheritance that God had promised them. Something doesn't add up. That is that they stood side by side with you and fought the battles to get to this point. But now you say the rest is on them. They've got to take care of it for themselves. And then the third thing that Moses says is basically, here's what happens when people take 
an apathetic stance like this. It spreads like wildfire. Just like it did in the camp of Israel uh, at Kadesh, and just like it did in the camp of Israel at all the points of rebellion, it wasn't just singular people, but it spread all across the people. Because if the Reubenites and the Gadites aren't going to fight, what are the Judahites going to say when they get to their place? Right? Or the Levites? Or the rest of the tribes? And so Moses calls this out right away. He says, listen, this is an act of disbelief, a lack of trust in God's goodness, and an unwillingness to believe that the people of God is necessarily plural, not singular. And what's going to happen is it's going to cause the demise of all of Israel if you move this way. We really have to pause and ask a deeper question. That is, how would the Reubenites and the Gadites have got to this place? How would they get to the place this far in the journey where they're no longer able or willing to trust the the full promises of God? To uh, place their lives in their hands in the palm of God and trust Him by continuing to move in faith? What is it that has caused a break in their belief in the goodness of God? And we get a couple of inferences in this passage. Did you catch the, the very start of the chapter? Livestock and flocks, right? First of all, who needs flocks? Like, I'm not going to get off on a tangent about birds, but let's just leave the flocks on the east coast of the Jordan, right? But they've got flocks and herds. That is, they've acquired a lot of stuff. And they've got to do something about their stuff. They've acquired this stuff over the last 40 years. They've acquired it through victories, and they've acquired it through battles and through sharing things. But they've got livestock and flocks, and it appears to be somewhat burdensome. And so they can look at the area they're currently at and say, you know what, we could just settle here, and there's a place for all of our stuff here. But it could be challenging to take all of our stuff across that river and into a new land with battles to fight and enemies we haven't seen yet. Now, let's set aside the birds for a minute because we know that birds are inherently evil, right? And I've proven that to you theologically before. Let's talk about the livestock. Is there something inherently evil about livestock? Is it bad that the Reubenites and the Gadites had acquired so much livestock? Of course it's not bad. But something happens when we become enslaved to our stuff that it takes our eyes off of the call that God has actually placed on us. And so suddenly, rather than believing that the promise lies ahead, they're willing to be enslaved to their stuff and insist, I just need to build pens for my animals, and this will do, rather than following God. So the first thing I think that leads the Reubenites and the Gadites to this place of struggling to trust God is they're bogged down. They're bogged down with their stuff. Stuff's not bad, but when stuff enslaves us rather than propels us into mission, bogs us down. The second thing that I think is going on here, and you really have to read this in a little bit, but you get this throughout the whole storyline of the book of Numbers, is that what you have here is weary people. Right? And let's just be honest, we can relate to them. 
The whole book of Numbers has been challenging. It's hard for us just to read it. Imagine living it. Battle after battle, rebellion after rebellion. You get all the way to the Jordan River, and there's got to be a sense in which you say, we made it, and I'm tired. Let's build some pens and fortified cities and call this home. And we can really begin to justify that kind of thinking, can't we? We fought so many battles. We've worked so hard to get here. And here we are. And yet we're not actually there. So what happens when the Gadites and the Reubenites are asking Moses to settle east of the Jordan, what Moses says to them is, you're asking me to settle for less than what God is offering see this? It is that when we get weary and tired, we have an increasingly, uh, we are increasingly given to the temptation to settle for less than what God calls us to. And here we have it. The third thing is that, and you totally get this from the first couple of verses of this chapter, is they were comfortable. What did they say about the land? This is suitable for livestock here. This land looks good. I don't know what makes land suitable for livestock. It's flat, I don't know, lots of grass, whatever it is. But they looked at it and said, this will work, right? Uh, And there's this level of comfort. There's also a level of comfort in thinking where they are. The land that they're going to inherit was the land that belonged to Sihon and Og, the Moabites and the Midianites, all of these great battles that they've just won. There's a relishing in the great victories of the moment that allows them to simply embrace the present as opposed to embracing the promise. You see this? So my guess is the land was nice there, and it probably was suitable for livestock, and yet it wasn't the land that God had called them to. But they struggled to, to, get, to go for promise because the present was really comfortable. And then lastly, we just need to call it for what it is, they were indifferent, right? They were bogged down, they were weary, they were comfortable, and last but not least, they were indifferent. And this maybe is what gets Moses' goat the most. He's like, you're going to let these people go fight for themselves when they fought for you this whole way along? And really what he's saying to them is, do you even care about the rest of the tribes of Israel? Or was this all about you getting to your personal inheritance? It goes all the way back to one of those very first questions of the book of Genesis. You remember Cain and Abel have this great sibling rivalry. Cain kills Abel, and God goes out to find Cain, and he asks Cain, where is Abel? Remember what Cain says to that question? Am I my brother's keeper? And that answer actually is the truth of the whole passage. Yes, you are your brother's keeper. And that has been an identity for who Israel and God's people have always been meant to to be. And here you have the Gads and the Reubenites acting in a Cain kind of way, saying, well, the Judites, they can fight their own battles in the land. Am I my brother's keeper? The Levites can take care of themselves in the land. And Moses says, hey, it doesn't work that way. The people of God are necessarily communal and plural. They are not isolated and individualistic. We battle together for each other's inheritance. That is that 
When God speaks of inheritance in a singular term, he means it as a communal possession, not an individual possession. And the Reubenites and the Gadites don't get that. Totally happy for the others to fight for them to have achieved what they have, but indifferent, at the very least, to want to fight on behalf of the others. So the Reubenites and the Gadites make an interesting suggestion. Moses repels it immediately, strongly. Brood of sinners, you're just like your forefathers. You don't care about your people. What is he saying to them? You're failing to trust God's promises because you're not believing that he's good. That what awaits you, even though the journey's been arduous, is actually true life, not where you are just yet. But how do they get to this place of disbelief in God's goodness and disbelief in God's promises? They tend to be bogged down with stuff. They're weary from the journey. They're comfortable in the present. And they're largely indifferent or apathetic about the plight of those around them. So how does God respond to this through Moses' leadership? It's very interesting if you think about it for a minute. The first thing he says is, listen, the whole you're not going to fight for your brothers and sisters thing, that doesn't fly. You are your brother's keeper. You will fight for them or you will have no inheritance. And it seems that they get that message loud and clear, right? Because they're like, okay, not only at the the end do they say we'll fight, they actually the, the Hebrew language is we'll lead the fight. Something dramatic has changed in them to understand what's going on here. But the the thing God will not bend on is that to be part of his people means to be necessarily communal and battling together for a shared inheritance, not an isolated, individualistic thing. But then Moses says something fascinating to me that almost doesn't land. He's like, so if you do that, if you fight for them, then you can live here. And it's almost like, really? Why would he let them do that? But if you've been following the storyline through the book of Numbers all along, we've continually been coming back to a singular point about God that is true. That is that he offers us the fullness of his promises, but he will not coerce us to embrace them. I can't prove it to you necessarily from the chapters, but I think I can prove it to you from the overall story of Numbers and the the narrative of redemption through the scriptures. That is that a better life for the Reubenites and the Gadites would have been west of the Jordan. But they chose less than. And God said, okay, I'm not going to force it on you. But my guess is their choice would go on to have consequences. Because to live east of the Jordan meant to be, one, farther away from the presence of God, which would be located eventually Uh, in the temple in Jerusalem, before that in the tabernacle, at the center of camp of all of Israel, and to be isolated from all of the other tribes who would fight on their behalf. And so therefore to live on the margins at the very least meant to be incredibly vulnerable to sliding. To sliding away from their commitment to God to sliding away from their commitment to the people of God, and from sliding away from their embrace of the promise.